0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Stanford Lee, CEO and president of Snoqualmie Casino. Stanford joined the casino as Chief Marketing Officer in June of 2018 and helped shape the marketing and acquisition strategy for that record setting year. During his tenure as interim CEO, he led the casino team through the pandemic while retaining the company's entire team member workforce of 1,100 without one layoff or furlough. Stanford has more than 24 years of experience as a senior executive, leading companies including Fortune 500 casinos at Wynn Resorts, Sands China and Caesars Entertainment. During his tenure with those companies, he's been part of the opening or pre-opening planning of five different integrated resort properties, which have grown significantly over his tenure. He has a deep history of attracting, developing and retaining team members, even in recognized high turnover environments. He holds two postgraduate degrees, including a master's degree in management and a law degree here and concurrently while attending Cornell University. Stanford Lee, welcome into the corner office.
1: Thank you, Brant. Thanks for having me on the show today.
0: Oh, Great Great to have you here. And and we're sitting on opposite coasts. I know you're in the Seattle, Washington area. I'm over in Connecticut in the Milford area. So uh, greetings across the 3,000 miles, the wonders of modern technology.
1: Yeah, thank you and good morning from Upper Left USA.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, listen, we always like to kind of start in the beginning and that's with you and kind of understanding a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, what your early family life was like. I know we've got some real interesting stories to tell you about some of the career direction that you went uh, went into early on. But, um, you know, where did you grow up and, and what, what did mom and dad do? And tell us about that and your siblings.
1: I grew up uh, in Las Vegas, uh, born in the Bay Area. So, hmm. I'm a 49er fan, much to the chagrin of all my peeps here in in, uh, Seattle, Washington, but uh, was born in Palo Alto, California, and my father was in the Air Force, which brought us out to Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, lived really close to Nellis Air Force Base for a good chunk of my childhood years, Yeah. and uh, spent most of my formative years there in Las Vegas. Uh, My parents were... uh, after leaving the, the military, my father and mother actually both both worked for the post office. Oh, cool. And uh, aside from that, my mother also taught piano. So you know, I got a lot of my work. A lot ethic of musical. From, yeah. <laughs> a lot of my work ethic came from my mom.
0: I love it. I I love it. Was she a professional performer as well or, or just as a teacher? Uh,
1: mainly a teacher. as a teacher. Yeah. Uh, but her, her living was mainly, um, you know, just just instilling that musical knowledge into other students and there have been about 40 years of of students who she still keeps in touch with
0: nice that's great
1: Uh, my sister on the other other hand is a professional musician oh
0: really oh so she got the bug oh that's cool what 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 music does she play or what what instruments are
1: so she's a piano player and pianist and she actually was a fellow at juilliard wow cool and uh,
0: another she, high performer in your family. Yeah, we're, we're really <laughs> proud of
1: her. Uh, part of part of the reason I'm in casinos is actually because of my sister and uh, because of my parents in that background. So uh, we, we yeah. can get to that uh, later on. In, in
0: yeah, the, uh, cool. Uh, so. so just the two of you or, or other siblings?
1: Yeah, just the two of us.
0: The two of you. Great. Terrific. And um, you know, tell me a little bit about kind of your, uh, you know, early influencers. You know what? You, you mentioned mom and her work ethic. You know, anything specific that you recall from those early days uh, from her?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, just watching her work her two jobs. She would uh, work at the post office. She did a graveyard shift. So all night she would do that. And then she would teach piano with uh, little kids all the way through high schoolers throughout the day and never tired, uh, never showed any of that. And... So when I think about anything that I have to do, I, I look back on that, and she was a big part of who I am today.
0: Awesome, awesome. Were you a good student in school?
1: I was actually.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: cool. You know the, I, I think I really found my stride in college though. Uh huh. I, I became a, a complete straight A student then, but uh, through high school, uh, I was a, I was a pretty good student. I was a A minus student, I had a three yeah. six GPA. Yeah. But, and
0: in uh, the outside activities that you pursued, are you involved in sports or chess club or debate, anything like that?
1: A lot of sports. I yeah. would say a lot of what I do today actually harkens back to what I learned from playing sports. Nice. Um, obviously with, with anybody, uh, people tell you, you can't play at one one point in your life. So for example, um, you either stop at high school or you stop at right. college or even a, right. as a pro, uh, your career stops somewhere. But along those lines, during that time, you learn how to work within a team, yeah. how to sacrifice for others, sure, and uh, and build a culture. So right, right. really big piece.
0: What about entrepreneurial things? Uh, did you have the ubiquitous paper route or do other things to, to raise money as you're growing up?
1: Well, when I was in college, uh, my first job was actually uh, personal training. Ah, so, cool. I learned how to talk to people in the gym and uh, run them through their routines and made something that may have been a little bit more of a chore for some into something that was fun and something that uh, people looked forward to. Yeah,
0: cool. Well, you had a couple of different directions in your school years. We talked about this when we first met uh, a month or so ago because you started kind of down the road of, of medicine, ended up getting a JD degree. And now you're in the hospitality industry. So you've got to give us some explanation of that, Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give us a short version.
1: <laughs> so, well, going back to my, my family history, um, you know, my, my sister would have to travel a lot uh, to get her lessons. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that my family never had to worry about was paying for my school. Right. And as such... You know, I started out with the personal training, as I'd mentioned, but then moved on to casinos because being from Las Vegas, you can make a fairly good living, uh, you know, as a valet, bellman, sure, uh, front desk, any any of those positions. And so, were, you, were you
0: doing that at, when you were at UNLV?
1: Yes, I was. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, UNLV gave me the opportunity to, to work and go to school at the same time. Uh, I can't say that my college experience was... was uh, what you would call the normal one. I was more of a commuter student. Yeah, uh, I would work at night, uh, pull graveyard shifts, very similar to my mom, and then go to school in the morning. So there, there you start to see the influence there. Right. But uh, I got all the way through my junior year and thinking that you know, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon or some yeah. doctor of some sort.
0: Well, you, I, you got your degree in kinesiology, right? I did, I did, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and so midway through my junior year, uh, you know, I think one of the best pieces of advice for anyone is walk in the shoes of someone yeah. who you want to be someday. Yeah. yeah. And so partway through my junior year, and this is the funny part, I, I got all the way through uh, organic chemistry, which is usually the gatekeeper of whether you go to medical school or not. Right. So, you know, if you don't do well in it, you change courses. If you do well in it, you keep going. Yeah. I ended up doing really well in organic chemistry, and then...
0: Which is, by those listeners who have no idea, that is the sorting hat, right, for medical school,
1: <laughs> True. right?
0: You know, if, if you don't get past, or, or what do they call it, or, orgo, or organic chem, it, it just, you know, there, there's no future for you. So the fact that you did well is phenomenal.
1: Uh, thank you for that, uh, for that little shout out there, but uh, ended up going into a hospital and doing a rotation, and just spent mm. the day, ER got to got to watch you know a few things going on and and I'll tell you what a big shout out to all of the people who work in yeah. there, amazing people. Yeah. Uh, but I I sat there in the ER and I couldn't stop washing my hands. I was washing <laughs> my hands every ten seconds. I, I thought my skin was going I I touched something. I wash my hands. So, and so after about two hours. I was like, you know what?
0: German <laughs> this is pope. probably not best for me. <laughs> I
1: don't think I could do this. And so, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, you know, I went home and, you know, rethought my life decisions.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, that's when I, I decided, you know what? I'm going to, t- instead of taking the MCAT, which gets you into medical school, right? I took the LSAT, LSAT and the GMAT. Yeah. So, I ended up getting a, a master's degree also in uh, in
0: management management and uh, hospitality at cornell yeah. which is n- no slack school and, and in fact i think it's the best hospitality school in the country isn't it it's uh, got a huge yeah, so I mean yeah. thank you yes i i agree with you on that one yeah, yeah. um well just to, i want to rewind back a little bit because this is really important for our listeners i you know i tell this all the time i get a lot of my ceo clients who say can you talk to my 20 year old they don't listen to me you know they'll listen to you you're a headhunter right and and i tell them and they might sometimes my ceo you know colleagues cringe, but you know, when you're young, it's important to find out what you don't want to do. Right. And I just really commend you to have the insight to go, as you said, to go and walk in the shoes and figure it out. Cause just think if you'd gone all the way through med school and gotten all that way and then discovered that way later, boy, that would have been a lot of years and a lot of time and money invested in something that just wasn't right for you.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think. That was a huge pivot point in my life yeah yeah and uh and then you know i'm glad that uh i was able to do well on the gmat and the lsat right and, and i will say since you're, you're talking about young listeners you know set yourself up for future success by by laying the foundation and what i mean by that is you know do those studies um find out what it takes to get you where you want to go right and and put the work in right you, yeah. you got to grind right. All right. And uh, at, at that point, it, it was interesting because I really didn't know which direction I was headed. And what uh, what it took was about six months of a little bit of soul searching and then going, you know what? I'm going to take the LSAT and the GMAT and I'm going to see which one I do better yeah. at. But I'm yeah. going to study hard for both. All right. And I did. I, I, I bore down and, and uh, actually ended up doing well and then uh, was able to... Finish both of those while attending Cornell.
0: Amazing. That's great. That's great. So did you think about going into law as a profession or did you see it more as a complement to the hospitality career that you ended up pursuing? I did. Uh, yeah.
1: You know, I, I would say there's probably a couple of professors that I've had that were upset with me for not practicing law, but uh, <laughs> I will say that, uh, you know, it, it's an amazing profession. Uh, the things that I learned in law school—how to think about things, how to yeah, see both yeah. sides of an equation—were super important. Great, uh, even walking into a boardroom today, like I'll look at a contract and, you know, it, it's like reading, reading for fun. Um,
0: <laughs> Not too many people can say that Stanford. <laughs> yeah, you know, but just
1: just knowing where to look for things and being yeah. able to understand it without any intimidation is, is huge. Right. Uh, but right. The, what what made me choose to go into the business field is, you know, I really wanted to create, Um, you know, a lot of times when people go see attorneys, they're not really happy. Right. And so, you know, I wanted to go into a field where I could use a, a broad range of the skills that I'd picked up and then the ability to use any creativity that I had.
0: Understood. Well, let's start then with uh, the beginning of your career in, in the hospitality sector. Now, was it uh, the, the folks at Caesar you went to work with? Or Alex golden nugget first, right? Is that correct? What, what was your first hospitality job?
1: It was actually, as an executive, it was with Caesars. With Caesars, right. And yeah. uh, well, back then it was known as Harrah's, but Parents, uh, we can yeah. even yeah. go beyond that. Um, again, starting back in in college, I was actually with the Hard Rock during its.
0: time. Oh, right.
1: Yeah. So I had a lot of fun in my 20s and uh, <laughs> met a lot of lifelong friends and, and had some really fun adventures with, with those guys and they'll be brothers for life and sisters there are a few sisters yeah. in there too yeah uh, where, did, where,
0: where what job did you first start managing people
1: where was that uh you know when i first started managing people would probably be when i was both a valet or a bellman oh uh, wow you know the uh you know During you in know, college
0: during college. during college yes yeah, yeah.
1: and you know you pick up a few shifts as a as a uh, as an extra bell captain or an extra valet and what you what you come to realize very quickly is that all of the people on your team come from different backgrounds right you've got young guys like yourself you've, you've got young women uh, you've got people who are taking care of their families with their jobs sure. You've got people who are just trying to get through school like me uh, you've got different levels of education. Some barely finished high school. Uh, a couple guys had had graduate degrees. So you really start to learn that you have to adapt how you lead people, how you manage people, yeah. to what you what you have there right. on the spot. Right. Um, right. You really have to evolve your own style and and direction, delegation to their level of experience or how they perceive the world. Yeah.
0: Let's let's double click on that. Tell us some of the, those early leadership lessons. You know, if you had to kind of draw maybe two or three things that you learned during those early days, whether you were valeting or maybe in the first jobs you had at Caesars, you know, what, what were the things that you took away as a young manager?
1: Well, again, going back to differing perspectives yeah. and people, you really have to learn the difference between direction and delegation. Mm. ultimately how I think of leadership is about bringing the best in bringing out the best in people right. and to do that with every different person who, who you're interacting with it's gonna be a little bit different yeah. and this is why I think direction and delegation are really important if you have someone who is a complete beginner you're gonna to have to give a little bit more direction yeah but yeah. if you have someone who's an expert someone who's super experienced really thoughtful uh, you know, you can delegate a little bit more. Mm. And what happens if you if you give a little too much direction to that person? That's when they start talking about micromanagement.
0: Yeah, right, right. So, oh, so how do you assess that? So, 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 so that's a very, very astute perspective. So, so, you know, do you kind of just listen a little bit, kind of check them out, or do you go like, oh, well, this is his first job, so he needs more direction? How do you kind of make that call between, you know, those two different choices, those two different approaches?
1: Well there's something you said in there that's really important. you said listen a little bit. It's yeah. listen a lot. Yeah so I listen right. to this day I listen a lot. I'm always uh, observing uh, team members, new, tem- new team members, more experienced team members. Uh, my ears are always open. I'm mm. always observing. Um, I won't just walk into a situation and just start spouting orders. I think really uh, for me, especially today, it's about setting a vision setting an umbrella of what you want to achieve and then depending on the level of experience or uh, the level of engagement you're going to have um, different ecosystems underneath that umbrella and if you're if you're engaged and you're listening a lot and watching a lot you'll see where you need to step in or where you need to give a little bit of maybe the, maybe it's not complete instruction but maybe it's just giving some guardrails yeah. And that tends to help bring out the best in a lot of our, our team members today. Yeah.
0: Now, you've had a fantastic career, you know, from Caesars, you went on to Sands, and then Wynn, and then to Skokalami, so where, where you're working today. Didn't come in as CEO. You've, you've raised the ranks. But I want to talk a little bit about your Sands China work. So you actually lived in Macau for a couple of years. So close to three years, right?
1: Uh, actually, four and a half. Four and a half. Uh, wow. Wonderful experience, I, I would yeah. say. Oh, it, it was a great capstone of a lot of the things that I'd picked up over the twenty plus years that I'd been in the industry, and and right. even before then, uh, playing on different teams. Um, you know, everything helps to form what and how you lead today. Right. And right. that Sands experience was incredible, not only for me but for my family. I, I brought my family over too. Nice. And I would say the key takeaways there. Was just how similar while different leading a team over there was yeah um the first thing that was really cool about that experience was i, I actually speak cantonese so oh, you do oh yeah. did you
0: did you grow up in the home with that or
1: uh my mother again my mother, <laughs> a lot yeah. of influence from, from, from that yeah. moment but um right. I, I speak chinese speak cantonese chinese with my mom on a daily right. basis still i call her yeah. every day on the way in from work and uh and so when I got to China, it was interesting because I'd never conducted business in China. Right. So I could talk in right. conversation and order food, obviously. But, <laughs> and, uh, and they
0: speak mostly Cantonese. In Macau, and they right? speak
1: Just, Cantonese. Yeah, right, right. Um, now there's more of an influx of Mandarin as well. But um, you know, if, if someone speaks slowly in Mandarin, you can kind of pick up a little bit. Right. Um, but I've been a Cantonese speaker my whole life. In fact, I, yeah. I learned how to speak Cantonese I before I learned how to speak English.
0: Was your mom from Macau or Hong Kong or what? What part did she uh, come uh, from? Originally? My
1: original family roots were from the Guangdong, Guangdong region yeah, just, of uh, of China. Of and Hong then Kong. my grandparents yeah, yeah. actually moved uh, for expats to Vietnam, and then from Vietnam to America. And so right. my parents were actually uh-huh. born in Vietnam, but, um, but but we're we're Chinese, Chinese
0: by yeah, ancestry. Right, right. Fabulous. Wow. What a, what a great, uh, so, so again, just, you know, kind of leadership there. What, what were the main differences, you know, particularly given that you worked in that language or understood that language, you know, what, what was different about leading your teams there than, uh, than working in the U.S.
1: Well, firstly, I'm going to go back to listening a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that was really neat about that experience was I was able to see some of the team members who may have been overlooked, by someone who maybe did not understand Chinese or mm. worked in, in English. Um, move, going into China, you know their mother tongue, a lot of the, those team members was Chinese. So whereas they actually spoke very, very good English, for that being their second language, uh, the, the way that they could express themselves and the theories and just talk, talking about marketing principles as an example, they were able to express themselves so well in Chinese. I knew, I knew what I had. Whereas if they were speaking in, in English, uh, imagine if um, you, were an, you or I, I don't know if you speak German, but imagine having to suddenly conduct business in German. You're not going to be as, as articulate. Horrible. As yeah, <laughs> it would be a nightmare. nightmare. So, so I was able to recognize when I would need to give more direction mm. or delegation, Based on what I was hearing, based on the actions that they took, right. and uh, you know, I was really fortunate. I had a really talented and high-performing team in Macau that maybe wouldn't have been recognized had uh, had someone else been uh, been leading it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you returned to the U.S., joined wind Resorts. You know, sometimes, particularly given you've gone three, four years, you know, the returning expat can be experience can be a little bit devastating sometimes because you, you've you got all this responsibility. You know, you're pretty much king of the hill out there, and then you kind of come back and you're kind of one of many. But you change companies, so that's perhaps a little bit of a shift. Was that reentry difficult for you?
1: No, it was, uh, you know, marketing principles, casino principles are, Similar, mm-hmm. no matter what market you're in. Right. right. Um, you know, you, you do a lot of market study. Um, I've been really fortunate to have the opportunity to go into international markets, national, uh, Las Vegas, obviously, you've got a really wide audience. And so, taking those learnings, plus, you know, I, I've also done local casinos. So, taking all those learnings and then either getting them ready to move out to Boston, which is where I was going to go next, or coming out to Seattle, uh, you're able to draw on those experiences and you, you adapt, you adapt the things that you've learned, things that have worked before, uh, things that you might want to even try, you know, some, some things you might want to take some risks on, but, uh, but for the most part, a lot of those best practices work in every market. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. And so made the transition to Snoqualmie and came first as chief marketing officer, I think, right back in, uh, in 18. And then you ascended to the CEO role and this is the first time you've worked for a, for a tribal resort, is it not?
1: Yeah. Uh, first time. And I will say what a, what a great experience it has been mm. the, you know, I've, I've worked for several fortune 500 companies Yeah. and, and it's, it is neat. I'm, I'm a competitive person by nature. And it's it's fun to see projects that you do or or things that you do have an effect on the stock price, but here the results of our work, the results of our of our company culture, the results of what our team members do, you can see the effect on the people, on the yeah. tribe, and yeah. by extension the community. Uh, the effect that we are able to have on the community out here. We're we're just east of Seattle. Uh, we're right. only a half hour. Actually, less than a half hour from downtown, and right, so it's probably. a really, really quick, quick stop from uh, from Pike's Market to get to here. Right,
0: right. And, from SeaTac. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah,
1: and from <laughs> from that point all the way out here, you can see the effects of of the people that who work here and our guests, because that whole corridor is who we affect. And right, right now, we're we're the largest employer of the Snoqualmie Valley.
0: And and it's 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 like it's like a family, right? I mean, it's like a fa- a privately owned business. And and the is the tribal council the owner or tell us a little bit about the structure if you can. I mean, I'm yeah, just kind of yeah. curious how that's how that's structured.
1: So the tribe is the owner and then the tribal council would be like the board of directors.
0: Got it, right? Right. And, so you report into the tribal council. Yes,
1: yes, yeah. and and it's very similar to working for a board of directors. Yeah, uh, we right. have our monthly our monthly uh, board meetings uh, where I'll I'll do the updates, and uh, and if there's any approvals that need to to happen, that's that's the meeting where it happens. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, we've got a really supportive board of directors here, and I, I think the the general vision I, I mentioned a vision earlier is we want to take care of the people who work here, uh, mm. the tribe obviously, and the surrounding community. And, you know, when you have that general parameter, uh, you can do a lot under those circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Now you've
0: got about 1,100 employees, I think. Um, What percentage of that uh, are from the tribe?
1: Well, uh, the tribe is spread out uh, across the country. So we've got uh, just under 30 team members who are uh, from the Snoqualmie tribe. So the majority of our team members actually are uh, non-native.
0: Professional management. Yeah, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. yeah. But what a, what a great work family we do have,
0: though. Yeah. You Tell know? us a little bit about the culture. You know, I'm curious to know kind of what the differences are, you know, between, you know, not that you have to go specifically into it to win, but more kind of a corporate casino, you know, publicly traded company to, you know, a family run, you know, tribally owned business.
1: Well, I, I'm, I'll kind of modify your question a little bit. When I think about cultures and you know, anything that I've ever led, I go back to those sports analogies mm-hmm. that I talked about earlier. Yeah I, yeah, I think of a company or any department I've ever led as a locker room. You mm.
0: know,
1: I've played on awful teams and I've played on really good teams. Right, <laughs> And the the really good teams have an amazing locker room. You have teammates who look out for each other. You have teammates that trust each other and teammates who communicate with each other. Yeah, you, you see that today. We do we do quite a bit of partnering with professional teams here in Seattle. Right. And there's there's one in particular. I'm I'm gonna give away a, a secret here because I'm a 49er fan <laughs> and I've been in the Se- <laughs> Seahawks locker room. But I, I was in the away locker room for the Seattle Seahawks. We were filming a commercial and they wouldn't let us into the into the home locker room. Huh. The first thing I noticed when I went into that locker room was there was a big set of lockers right in the middle of the room and i go you know what that's on purpose when the Mm. first first hand is like that's on purpose because once the offensive lineman can't talk to the defensive lineman the coach can't address the whole team at at once if they had to they'd have to go in the hallway where everybody's like catering and everybody's right outside their locker room and so i asked the uh the tour guide or, or the person who was helping us out i go hey Quick question, and you don't you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But <laughs> is the home locker room big and wide open, and and so where Pete Carroll, the coach, can talk to the whole team at once? He goes, Yeah. How'd you know? It's like, Nah. I think I I think. I
0: <laughs> yeah, because normally you see a locker room, the lockers are against the walls, right? Right. You know, around the whole four walls, you've got the inside area. I'm thinking Ted Lasso, you know, or something, right? You always. Exactly. That. <laughs> exactly. So they, so they bunch them all up in the middle, so people are all kind of disjointed. Wow, that's a, that's yeah, really that's a a good psychological. And conquer. Yeah.
1: And conquer. And so when you <laughs> think it. about when you think about a company, you know, think about it, think about it as a virtual locker room. Communication right. is so important, right? Yeah. So yeah. the head coach has to be able to set that vision for the 1100 team members, right? Like I want to be able to to give everybody the same story, the same message. And then from a communication standpoint, there's no dividing locker island in the middle that keeps one group from talking to another. You eliminate all the silos. One hand knows what the other hand is doing. Mm. And that becomes so important. And then from there, the trust happens, the uh, communication happens, the confidence and the care for each other happens. Uh, So that would be how I view a culture. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. You know, we've all had mentors and, and frankly, some tormentors uh, over the course of our career. Tell us a little bit about maybe the good and bad in that. Cause you, you know, you're so into the sports analogy. I'm sure you've had some great coaches, but there's probably been things as well that you observed and said, boy, I'm never going to do that again. So give, <laughs> give us one of each, give us, give us something that maybe a mentor of yours, you know, helped you with early on. And then Uh, a possible tormentor or at least someone or behavior that you observe, no names seem to be mentioned that uh, you said, I'll never, you know, gosh, I just, I, I, you learned from that because you did things differently.
1: Right. Right. Well, let's see, I I will, I will make the the heroes more obvious Hmm. uh, because they, they are people who I admire and respect to this day. Um, You know, obviously you've heard about my mom. Yeah. Um, and then when I first joined Harris in the executive ranks, I had a really good role model there. Uh, her name was Marilyn Wynn. And she was the regional president of Bally's Paris Rio. Mm. And, uh, you know, she got me started. She actually was one of the ones who recruited me out of Cornell to join uh, Harris. You know, when I was actually at Cornell, I, I was thinking I might not even go back to casinos. And, but the opportunity to go work for her and there were a few other leaders there. There's another gentleman named Wilson Ning uh, who became a really prominent person in, in my life. Uh, but the key there is that they all gave me the opportunity. Um, they, they all taught me along the way. There's another gentleman named Michael Weaver who actually yeah. worked directly with Marilyn Wynn. He was my very first traditional marketing boss. Wow. And I would say that uh, you know, from Maryland, her biggest thing and I don't remember uh, having conversations with her, and she would tell me, you know make sure you walk your work, you know, make mm. sure that you you check on people. Um, you know, make sure you know just enough to where you can uh, make sure all the cows are pointing north. You really <laughs> you really don't have to over manage or overcorrect, but um, you know, she put together, some amazing teams. And I, and I watched that. And this was right out of out of business school, right out of law school. And then with Wilson, um, he was my first casino marketing. Uh, it's almost like a player development sales team. And I remember the biggest thing from him was, you know, go take some risks, take a shot. Um, you know, there's there's not a decision that you can make that's going to crumble this company. So, you know, shoot your shot, you know, take a risk. If you make a mistake, we'll, we'll figure it out. And, but, you know, we're not going to put you in a position where you can, where you can crush an organization. So it was, it was setting those parameters, right? Setting those parameters and then letting me uh, make some decisions based off of that. And then uh, Michael Weaver, uh, my first, let's call him my first traditional marketing boss, he set standards for me that I, I still to this day set for my teams, um, you know, just a, a, he would challenge to some, he was a pretty intimidating guy. And, um, you know, he was always, uh, what I would think a marketing executive should look like, should mm-hmm. have to carry themselves. But behind the scenes, he, he cared about his teams yeah. and, but at the same time, he held them accountable. Uh, don't right. walk into a meeting with Michael unprepared that, that <laughs> bad news. So I, I would say I've been really fortunate uh, starting with those three. I mean, there's many more uh, sure. on that, but, uh, but the first three are, are always good to start with. Um, as far as what not to do, I we we go all the way back to when I was in college, you know, I would see uh, people who would kind of overstep their position and, you know, I'm a really big believer, especially today, of making sure everybody knows how important their job is to the success of the organization. And it's not just the position you hold. You could be a porter. You have a very important position. You make a difference every day. Uh, One of the things that's the neatest about our casino, our company today, is people think it's spotless. And when we were in Mm. the middle of the pandemic, I would put our cleanliness up with some of the hospitals because we be <laughs> on those machines. It's a high touch environment. Right. So our, our, uh, environmental services cleaners, they're on those machines every 15 to 20 minutes, wiping yeah, things they, down.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And you know, when you think about that all the way up through the ranks. So I, I would say, you know, for those who I would say not to do not to follow or, or not to uh, replicate, it would be those who disregard the importance of others and the yeah, impact that yeah. they make. And I saw yeah. a lot of that as I was yeah. growing up. Yeah,
0: cool. I've recently heard that some CEOs um, are kind of uncomfortable with having their, you know, answers questioned <laughs> versus having their questions answered. And you know, that's that's quite true with you know millennials and, and younger folks, maybe that grew up in a little bit of a different uh, you know corporate environment than I. How do you handle that situation? Are you someone where you encourage that kind of discourse?
1: I actually hire people who are different from me,
0: who think mm.
1: on purpose. Uh, because I think if if you all think the same way, you're going to go off in a direction. Right or wrong, you're only going to go in one direction. But, you know, I, I intentionally look for people who have different perspectives from me. Yeah. Diversity um, is so key. Exactly. It? If if you ever find me hiring someone who is a twin, um, we've got problems because <laughs> you know I, I like that diversity of thinking. I like yeah. that uh, iron sharpens iron approach. Right. And a lot of times, you know, even in our marketing meetings, throw an idea out there. Now, granted, uh, I do throw a vision out there. I do throw like a hey, here's here's some parameters. But then within those parameters, hey, take some risks. Um, Some of them, you know, if if they don't make sense, we'll talk about them. But, you know, this is where a lot of our success comes from. We've got some really creative people, uh, but we've also got mixed in some really disciplined people who are going to make things happen. So you have to have both. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's so important to have ideas challenged. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely part of our culture here. We want to make sure that there's a free flow of ideas and then challenge those ideas. Let's let's make them stronger. Let's work through. Let's let's fill in the gaps. And that's helped us along the way quite a bit.
0: Awesome. Now, you were uh, moved to interim CEO in, in December of 19 and then became CEO just about a year ago. And so, you know, over that period, would would you say, compared to kind of your early career, has your leadership style evolved? Are you doing things differently now, now that you're in that corner office than you did when you were CMO, for example?
1: No, I think think I'm pretty much the same. I'll I'll Mm. tell you a quick story. So um, the day that the board of directors or the the tribal council said, um, you know, we'd like you to be uh, our CEO. Yeah. Um, So I've I've done the CEO capacity for like almost three years now, two years, nine months, something like that. Yeah. So I remember uh, remember going home, and you know my wife has been my biggest advocate, my Mm. biggest supporter for over twenty years, and um, so I go home and I I say Chandra, was my wife's name so the tribe asked me to be their CEO today.
0: Mm.
1: And so she goes, "I'm so proud of you. You've worked so hard. You know, you've really earned this. Can you take out the trash?
0: <laughs> so, you're at home now. So, There's no well, corner uh, office here.
1: <laughs> so when you when you think about you know when you get into the corner office, yeah, you're the same person. You know yeah. you just have more responsibility. And and you you do need to have people who keep it real for you. you right. know, that's why right. I hire people who have a different perspective for me.
0: Yeah.
1: And you know, it keeps it real. Again, going back to things I learned what not to do, it's that there's every position here is important. Eleven hundred yeah. positions, eleven hundred marketers, eleven hundred important people. Right. And right. and so I would say that, you know, over the last few years. Has, has anything changed? I I would say, no, I would say it's, it's made it more concrete, the things mm. that I do. And, and I will say that I, I took over as CEO two months before the pandemic happened. Right. And I will say that getting this company through and retaining all of our team members was probably the most, uh, Fulfilling career accomplishment uh, you
0: didn't lay anybody off right that you didn't even furlough them
1: did not did not lay anybody off we came up with a plan to make sure that all the team members were supported made sure that uh, their benefits were covered that they still got uh, still got paid during those closures you know you work so hard to build a culture and that you can't turn those those folks loose on the street because you you wouldn't be able to get your culture back
0: that's right
1: and even though we were closed for we were closed for three and a half months, but you got to reopen at a certain point, and you know what does that say about your locker room, about your work? Yeah. If you don't take yeah. care of them.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the importance of diversity and in, in finding folks that are that are different than you and different from each other. Mm-hmm. But what else do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire?
1: Well, I look at I look for hard workers. There is mm-hmm. nothing that can replace hard work or work ethic. Yeah, You know, you, you can think differently from everybody else. You can have a difference of opinion. And you can find that everywhere. That That's a good thing. But there's one thing you cannot replace, and that's just good old-fashioned hard work. Yeah. You know, are people willing to grind? And, and, and you know
0: what that looks like. You were brought up by a hard worker.
1: Right? Absolutely.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, and so when I see uh, someone who's, who's working hard, who's, who's a front-level team member, you know, that's me when I was in college. Sure. And then, you know, I, I see my mom. You know, I see yeah. someone who yeah. uh, is, is working to support their family. And you got to take care of that. That's that's yeah. a hard worker.
0: Yeah. So yeah. That's what well, I'm listen, Stanford, we're just about out of time, but we got one last question for you. And, you know, that's kind of what career and life advice would you give to, you say, your younger self at about 10 years ago? What, what would you say to him?
1: Well, career advice that I give anybody is do the right thing. Whenever, whenever you think nobody's looking, you know, always do it. And then as far as what I would tell my younger self, buy your wife more flowers.
0: (laughs) Well, it sounds like she deserves it. (laughs) I love it. Well, listen, Stanford Lee, CEO and president of the Snoqualmie Casino, just east of Seattle, Washington. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office.
1: Thank you, Brant. Thanks for having me on the show.